New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. show and our international window preview today we're keen to explore the u.s games with granada and el salvador england are heading to naples not rome in their latest attempt to bring it home spain and france have made changes all round and will roberto martinez portugal be completely sound all this plus graham gets to speak about scotland's latest new start but don't worry listener i'll warn you when you can skip that part <laughs> my name's ryan bailey joining me today your friend of mine taylor rockwell who has just informed us before we started recording he is <laughs> drinking a quadruple espresso shot coffee right now taylor Taylor, um, if you could just stop bouncing off the walls for a second and say hello. <laughs> Living on the edge. <laughs> I can hear my pulse in my eyeballs. I, I did not know it was a quadruple. I thought it was two shots, and then I asked for an extra. Only looking at the label did I realize that it's four shots. So, yeah, I'm going to try to speak slowly, but this is about as slowly as I can speak right now. So, is this why you're the way you are? <laughs> uh, no, my toddler refusing to sleep through the night and uh, screaming for various reasons is why I need four shots. But then, yes, I guess the four shots does make me the way I am after not getting a night of sleep. Oh, boy. All right. Well, good yeah. luck with that, Tater. We'll mm-hmm. check in with you. We'll do a wellness check halfway through to see if you are still uh, uh... I, On the plus side, she is learning how to be just an excellent like uh, scam artist because every night there is a new problem that has to be resolved that very quickly you realize is not actually a problem. So she is learning to hustle uh, just at my expense. Is that because she's doing double shots now? <laughs> that, more productivity? That's part of the problem, yes. Okay. She, does, she gets a, a quintuple shot. It's, it's a very risky parenting strategy we've gone for. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, good luck with that. Uh, joining us today, Tay-Tay, our North Star for all things pies and kits, a man who's going to go and watch Anna and Elsa do some ice skating very shortly after recording, Graham Rutherford. Hello to you, sir. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, I am off to uh, Disney on Ice after we record this. Uh, It's debatable whether that will be a higher level of sporting competition than any Scotland fixture over the next two weeks. Um, Higher. Higher. Higher, possibly, (laughs) yeah. Probably higher, let's face it. The the, uh, the amount of um, frozen pitches you've had lately, Graham, I'm assuming this is taking place at like a Sterling Albion game that's uh, reassigned. Yeah, it's Dumbarton that are hosting yeah. it on on their their unplayable pitch. Yeah, they're just hosting Disney on Ice now. They've given up on the football and they're just hosting the the the, the Mouse House. Ryan, I, I want to speculate on something. I would love to know your input. Graham, you can remain silent for this. I think in the past I would have assumed, based on like the sort of lack of enthusiasm that Graham had for discussing on an Elsa on Ice. I would have thought, yeah, like he's being dragged to that. He's not going to be into it. The more I have learned about Graham Ruffin and the sort of uh, inquisitive mind he has, the appreciation for other sport. I do wonder if he's going to come away from this evening thinking like, ah, there's a lot of talent there. That was a really good mm. show. I can't believe they pulled that off. I think Graham is going to enjoy this. How say you, Ryan? I agree. I think he's <laughs> going to write in The Guardian about it tomorrow. <laughs> I think he's going to, is he going to give us the, the Moana frozen truth? Which one is actually yeah. better? Yeah. I'm going to get home and open Y Scout and then open the search tab and just <laughs> type in ice skating and see what Y Scout have, have, have on that. There we go. Excellent stuff. Well, I hope you enjoy that. I hope your whole family enjoys that, Graham. And congratulations again for Sterling Albion being top of whatever league. Yeah. They're in. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Uh, yes, we finally went top of the league last night with a win over Forfar Athletic. The best moment of the night, though, was that the pie man, the man who owns the pie company that supplies Sterling Albion, sought me out before kickoff to shake my hand and thank me for the promotion that I give him on Twitter, which was like the greatest moment of the season so far. So all in all, a good night. Uh, free, free pies on coming down the line for you now? Uh 
actually, yes, I think. <laughs> so I'll do a wee Patreon review of, 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 of those free pies. They're very there good. Go. I, I don't know. See, now, your taxes. Now, I, now I have concerns, Ryan, that there's going to be there's pie influence. We're not getting the full accounting, the mm. real picture of the pie. This is why you have to have journalistic neutrality, Graham, when it comes to the pie reporting. Yeah, I've, I've been bought by Big Pie. Exactly. Yeah, this is my concern. That's what's happened to you. Will, will you have uh, pie bias or pious, if you will? Oh, very good. Very good. Hey, okay, I did a funny. That means another thing. Uh, why don't we talk about the international window in which we find ourselves situating? We're at the precipice of it, I suppose, as we record. We should start off, Taylor Rockwell, with the USMNT's upcoming games. We've got a trip to Granada coming up next and then hosting El Salvador in Orlando. Is that next Tuesday? Next Monday, that one is, I believe, right? So, believe. what do we make of this one? This is CONCACAF Nations League. Uh, as Joe Lowry, who's not with us... Um, on this show has reminded us in previous shows the object here is to qualify for the nation's league finals which are taking place this june and it's quite an important objective taylor with the u.s not being in top spot to qualify at the moment in second place in their respective concacaf nations league group so there is work to be done there there absolutely is though it's worth noting el salvador and granada the other two teams in the group have both played one more game than the u.s so if and when the U.S. goes uh, to Granada and gets a win, that would put them top of the group. Then they have their final uh, game against El Salvador. El Salvador would need to win that on the road in the United States. Uh, but first, it will be the U.S. having to get past Granada, which theoretically they should be able to do. Uh, I'm going to assume it's going to be a very ugly game. I'm assuming the pitch will be pretty rough. Uh, watching some of the highlights from Granada's uh, 2-2 draw with El Salvador at home, the pitch actually looked better than El Salvador's pitch did when the U.S. played there, uh, but still looked very wet and slow simultaneously. It was one of those where you could sort of see, similar to what Graham will experience later with the ice skating, you could see the players not really being certain of the footing, and so everything just looked slower. Uh, it's got the running track. It looks like it's in sort of a uh, an all-sports uh, venue, so I don't think it's going to be the best atmosphere, but I think it will require the United States to handle some of the physicality and then just be ball dominant and make chances happen so that the El Salvador game would then require El Salvador taking the game to the U.S., and I think the U.S. will be able to handle that one. But we shall see. Ryan, my question for you on this window, you mentioned we're at the precipice of it starting. Is that sort of what this window feels like for you? It's one of those rides where you go up the, the ramp on the roller coaster and then it stops as you're pointed straight down and it holds you there for like five seconds and then releases you. Is the international window just you being held in a vertical position uh, for like like five days and then you get to go back to things? I'd say it's less of a roller coaster, Taylor, more that we've just joined the queue in the traffic jam. Oh, okay. We're going to sit through it for a few hours. Yeah, or, or the roller coaster just gets stopped at the yeah. top of the lift hill, and you need to get rescued from the top of that oh, lift hill. It never comes back down. So you don't even get to you don't even get to, to do it. It's you hang there like like facing straight down for five days, and then you just slowly back down the hill, very very slowly. That's what Ryan approach or feels like with the international window. Got That's it. right. Hashtag disappointment. Um, so Taylor. So mm-hmm. for this uh, Granada away game, yep. we're expecting it to be Concacaf esque yes. in its at least in its aesthetics when we tune in. That would be uh, my guess. Yeah, I think it's going to be a slow game. I think Granada will try to make it a slow game. I think they will uh, like go with some physicality and get into some challenges. I don't think there is going to be VAR for these uh, for a number of different reasons. So maybe we'll get some controversial moments that won't get looked back. Uh, watching the USA's uh, game in El Salvador, there wa- wasn't VAR, and there's a few moments when Pulisic gets crushed that I, I think maybe would have gotten a-, a second look if VAR were there, uh, and I think that's something that we should sort of take into our accounting, that these are going to be sort of slog games where the U.S. historically has to find a way through. It is, especially with Granada, weaker opposition, so they should be able to do that. It's a matter of how do they do it? Do they have the chemistry and the combinations? Are they playing quickly enough? Do they have just that level of confidence you need with some of the new players, with some of the returning faces, and with some people who have a point to prove? Uh, We've seen in the past players try to do too much and try to make things happen because they want to sort of get off uh, on a good start, and that can be problematic. If we see the U.S. playing as a unit, moving the ball quickly, probing for opportunities, and then taking chances if and when they come— I will feel much better about things. But I do think this could be a 
sort of slow game. And if the United States scores one early, I think it could be even slower because they will be content with a one or two nil win. Uh, And I think Granada won't hate that either. (laughs) So I could see this being a, a not particularly compelling game from a U.S. perspective. Taylor, when you said that there's going to be no VER for this, mm-hmm. a CONCACAF match, there's what I thought of, there's a bit in the Simpsons movie where mm. the police robot has to dismantle a bomb or something and the pressure's too much for it yeah. and it takes Chief Wiggum's gun and it, and yeah. it essentially shoots itself. That's what VAR has done here for a CONCACAF match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's thought... I can't take that. Nope. I'm, I'm out. I'm out of Concacaf, and 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 actually, Concacaf didn't have a choice in that matter. VAR refused to be the VAR for that match. It gained sentience and immediately said, "Now nah, we're good. We got other things exactly. we want to work on." That makes sense. That does yeah. make sense. Yeah. So I think the Granada game will be the one where the United States has you know seventy percent possession or thereabouts, uh, and then it's about just moving the ball quickly or as quickly as they can, because I'm guessing the field won't allow for just that confidence you need uh, when when you're on the ball. I think we're going to see a few extra touches. I think it will be slower, and I think it will require some individual efforts to make something happen. Uh, that's my sort of pessimistic look. The more optimistic look, this is a game the U.S. won 5-0 on home soil, so we would expect them to come in with a bit of swagger, a bit of confidence, and yeah. make something happen, especially with some of those new faces, with Daryl D.K. Uh, coming back in, with Ricardo Pepe coming back in. Uh, I'm hoping both of them are able to have an impact, uh, regardless of who starts. I hope one of them or both of them get some goals and and we're all feeling better about the U.S. or as better as we could be feeling about the U.S. after this game. Yeah, I, I don't really know what we will learn about the team as a whole from these games, partly because there's no head coach or no permanent head coach at the moment. There's no GM at U.S. soccer. There's no clear direction for 2026. So there's no framework for what the US is kind of building around at the moment we don't know the style that they're building towards you know it's a very different style if Berhalter comes back as head coach to if Jesse Marsh gets hired as as, as head coach so I don't really know what to read into as I say from from the team performance I think you're probably right Taylor that is what we should expect but I do think there is good value in getting the core group together again particularly after the Berhalter Reina scandal and moving on from that and I'm sure um, a lot of listeners have seen Christian Pulisic's interview with, um, I think that was with Graham Hunter for ESPN, Mm -hmm. but his comments suggest that there is a desire from the players just to push this nonsense behind them and kind of move on. And so I do think from that aspect of of, of things, getting the, the core group together, the fact that there are so many players coming back from that World Cup squad is going to be quite valuable, even if in terms of the, the performances on the pitch were, are maybe not that that valuable. Some of the players that are in the squad as well, you know, Alan Sonora, he looked very good the last time that we we saw him. I'm disappointed that he didn't come to MLS in the end. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Daryl DK, Taylor, I know you spoke about DK yesterday with uh, with Gas and, and, um, and, and Joe, obviously. Feels like he kind of has a bit of unfinished business with the, with the national team, yeah. obviously. He, there was a lot of hype around him when he was in the championship at, at first and scoring goals for fun with Barnsley. Then injuries kind of halted him. Right now, he's got four goals in five games for West Brom. So I think there's a chance he gives the US something different. Zendayas is obviously now officially the USA. So I kind of want to see where he fits into the team. Della Torre, he's playing more for Celta Vigo right now. Um, I kind of think in a sense he was missed at the World Cup and that he, I know he was in the squad, but it felt like he wasn't really fit enough to feature in any meaningful way. And so having him as a rotation option might have helped the US in that game against the Netherlands around the 16 game just be a little bit fresher had he been involved. So I'd like to see him contribute again. So I think in terms of the camp, there's lots that is valuable there. I think in terms of individuals, there's lots that's valuable there as well. But it's kind of difficult to assess everything all at once without that framework that I talk about. Absolutely. And I think that is the important framework to establish that we don't have much framework when it comes to these two games. Uh, But looking back at uh, games past, the one-to-one draw in El Salvador, that one was more or less an experimental makeshift team. You have Ethan Horvath in goal. You have Reggie Cannon and Anthony Robinson as your fullbacks. You have Aaron Long and Cameron Carter-Vickers as your two center backs in the midfield. It was Musa Adams and Aronson. 
more of a 4-2-3-1 shape with Aronson Central than Pulisic and Tim Way on either side with Haji Wright up top. Uh, so some of the kind of proven names, the known quantities in there, then a little bit of experimentation. You get uh, Paul Areola subbing on in the 62nd and then getting a red card eight minutes later. So that uh, confused things. Then you get Jordan Morris subbing on in the 80th and I think scoring in the 90th. So he got the late equalizer there. So it, it, I say that all just to say that for people who maybe forgot about that game or didn't pay as much attention to it, it's not as though that was the U.S.'s starting World Cup squad going in and, and failing to get a result in El Salvador. It was a sort of secondary team, or at the time a few of those names were secondary. Uh, and what could they do with other bigger games looming on the horizon? Uh, in this case, I think we will see probably something similar, where we'll see some of the established names, some more exper- experiment experimental Collins experimentation is probably the word I should have gone for there. Um, and the biggest one I'm excited for is who starts at number nine. I would like it to be Daryl DK, not because I think he's better than Ricardo Pepe, but to, to your point, Graham, I feel like every time we've seen him for the U.S., he is either recovering from an injury or about to get injured, a.k.a. playing too many games. And I don't think we've ever seen him sort of coming into a camp in full form, in full fitness, Uh, And this time we are. So I think this could be a great opportunity to see what he can do with some of the pressure off. It's not as though if he does well, there's a World Cup spot on the line. I think this is a chance for him to kind of stake his claim that he should be much more involved in that number nine conversation than he has been previously. And a good showing over the course of these two games would definitely help with that. And the same goes for Ricardo Pepe. So I think that alone makes these games compelling is can either one of them be a difference maker create a goal from nothing or just score a goal when it doesn't seem like it's going to happen or score a goal early and kill the game off. All of those would be welcome things to see from the number nine spot. I'm glad you mentioned excitement there, Taylor, excitement at the number nine spot potential, because up to this point, my TLDR was uh, we're going to get a slow game and this window doesn't mean a lot because of the current structure of the program. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is the case. I think neutrals are... I expect a lot of people who pay attention to the U.S. at the World Cup and then maybe for like big Gold Cup games are going to be texting me like, why do we look so bad? What's going on? Well, like this is this is bad. The U.S. should be beating this team 10 nil. And maybe that's the case. I don't think that's the case for El Salvador, though, playing at home is a big difference maker for the United States. I think these games are an opportunity to evaluate individuals and just see is their progress? Are they looking better? We won't have Tyler Adams there. So who can do the Tyler Adams job? Or will we see two players asked to do that and go with more of a 4-2-3-1? I think we're going to get to see opportunities to just see those individuals. And that's what I would focus on. I wouldn't focus on the system or the tactics other than are they playing as a unit or is it much more individual? And even there, it's hard to really draw major conclusions because we don't know who the coach will be or how things will play out. So I think the best thing people can do in watching these games is root for the win and then watch the individual players, maybe more than you normally would. And instead of focusing on the system or the style or what, what are the patterns of play or the rotations, look at, you know, uh, is Aronson taking people on? Is like, do our center backs look like they are like having good coordination and communication like how are our goalkeepers looking or do they look comfortable how's the distribution I think evaluating just individual moments and individual sequences is probably the way to go with these games yeah as as Gio Reyna given anyone side eye or is anyone given Gio Reyna side eye that's what I'm looking for careful they don't want to do that (laughs) uh Graham a general point about this window uh Major League Soccer is plowing on through with its fixture list this weekend (laughs) Do we still see that as a problem? Is there going to be a point in the coming seasons where they're going to stop doing that? So I've written about this for The Guardian. Previously, I do see it as a problem, particularly with MLS growing in terms of the number of international players in that league. And and also very important um, standout preeminent players for their countries in in terms of who's playing in MLS. Um, so the fact that Atlanta United, I believe Atlanta United have got a game this weekend and Thiago Amada is part of the Argentina squad. So the, their best player, the player who's kind of knit everything together for them in their rebuild at the start of this season is going to be missing for for a, a, a standard league match this season. I find that weird for, a, for a, a league like MLS, which I believe for the World Cup, MLS was sixth in the list of the of the number of call ups for for a World Cup for for leagues around the world. So we're not talking about you know in Scotland for example the Scottish Championship will plough on this weekend and there will be one or two 
players from the Scottish Championship missing, but you can kind of absorb that. We're talking about tens and tens of players missing from MLS this weekend, and I, I do personally think that is a problem, and it's something that MLS is going to address if they want to be one of the biggest leagues in the world, because there will be players out there who will not move to MLS because it will hinder their mm. their international prospects. Yeah, it just for me, it quite it, it, the problem for me is it equates them with like EFL League One and League Two, which will plow on, and I think they want to set their sights a little higher than that, right, Graham? And possibly, yeah. <laughs> quite possibly. By the way, um, AFC Wimbledon's Chris Gunter is missing uh, this uh, Wimbledon's games in this window because he's going to be uh, a coach with Wales during this period. So Wimbledon fans are super happy that he's taking a new job while. Uh, um, Wait, so do you have a game job. this weekend then? Yeah. You, I, I presume. So yeah. he is he is missing a game as a player to be a coach to be a for coach Wales. for Wales. He's eyeing up his <laughs> next job while doing his current one, Graham. Yeah, it's not That's, great. I don't know if I've ever heard of that before. That's yeah. quite incredible. Yeah, it's not the best. It's not the best. We're not super happy about that. Uh, Taylor, before we take a break, yeah. anything else to say about these US games? Any any positive notes we can strike here? This may end up being a slightly meandering rant, so go ahead and buckle up for it. But Ryan, to your point that MLS is still playing, I kind of hate it. I really do hate it. I don't know if it will change, but I I don't think it's even that big of a deal in terms of like, oh, they're not calling in certain players or certain players are going to be missing the weekend. I just keep struggling with, it's a thing I've talked about before, it's a thing that's been the case for me in years past. Every year that I'm focused on getting into Major League Soccer, I want to follow it for the majority of the season, if not the whole season, stuff like this happens, and it makes it really hard for me to take the first 10 weeks of the season seriously when it's, oh yeah, they're not in form yet, they haven't really figured it out, that guy showed up overweight for preseason, but by week 10, he should be good to go. Ah, we've got the international break, we've released some players, other people aren't being released until the later international window, and it just feels like when you're playing through all of that, everything matters and nothing matters simultaneously, and I get sort of confused as to how much... I'm supposed to care about this. And I wish MLS would either just say, like, yeah, the regular season doesn't matter, or really double down and change the schedule. But I think trying to have it be, we're going to be one of the best leagues in the world, every game matters, look at all the drama, look at all the intensity, oh, but also there's a FIFA window and we're going to play right through it. It it just sends mixed messages in my mind and I think makes it hard yeah. to really get into the league when you have this break but don't have a break simultaneously. If only there was a month-long spell in the summer, <laughs> say that was filled currently by... <laughs> By a kind of superfluous, pointless competition that they could remove that competition and then yeah. take the time off the international breaks. Wouldn't that be an idea? <sighs> Nothing like making a decision to then hamstring yourself later and then justify being hamstrung by having to make that decision that you didn't have to make. It's a very, very definitive MLS moment in my mind. Oh boy. All right, that feels like a good break point. Let's take a quick one. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this qualifying window, including Euro 2024 qualifying, which is upon us. Back shortly. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking International Window. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, wellness check. It looks about 33% of your quadruple coffee has gone down. Feeling okay? Huh? What? Yeah, I'm feeling great. What are you talking about? Everything's good. Yeah, okay. Excellent, excellent. Taylor, good. are you normally like on the ceiling, like in a horror film, like <laughs> on all fours in the ceiling? Is that normal for you? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you got to like uh, dust the fan from the ceiling down. Why not? Well, how do you do it, Graham? What, do you st- stand on a ladder or something? Get out of here. What a feeling, Taylor's on the ceiling. Let's talk about Euro 2024 qualifying. Uh, The tournament, by the way, in Germany next June and July. That sounds like, oh, I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be a proper... Just just a quick beat on that. We've had so many major tournaments in 
kind of uh, questionable locations and earned by questionable methods that a tournament in Germany is very appealing to me and it, to appealing to me and it feels like the first kind of appealing tournament in terms of location since maybe 2016 because we had 2018 with the Russia World Cup then we had 2020 which was covid and also just spread around Europe so I don't really think mm-hmm. you got a sense of any sort of place then you have Qatar 2022 so it it feels like a while since we've had what I would say, I don't want to cause any offence, but like a proper tournament in one location where fans can actually visit, unlike yeah. Qatar, where nobody could actually go to that tournament. It, it feels back to basics, doesn't it? I do I do like that. Um, Euro 2028, by the way, Graham, is being shared by Azerbaijan, uh, Saudi Arabia, and the Arctic Circle. So make the most of this one. <laughs> do you know what you was, was, was scary about that? Is when you started saying that, I, I thought you were being serious, and I was about to go, oh, I hadn't heard that, actually, but... Yeah, maybe not the Arctic Circle. Uh, that boy. might be beyond FIFA. But by, yeah. the, by then it will be like a, a balmy 75 degrees in the Arctic yeah. Circle. So we could go ahead and have a final there. Why not? Yeah, let's uh, put a tournament in the future. We haven't invented the technology to make the uh, pitch the right temperature yet. So I'm thinking that we've got form for that. Anyway, I'm rambling. Let's talk about the qualifiers. Uh, why don't we start with England? who have a game against Italy in Naples coming up on Thursday as we record, and then a subsequent game against the Ukraine. (sighs) So, Graham. (laughs) Excited then, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Another one. We start another one. Now, I've made my, my opinions on qualifying clear previously on this podcast, and I hate to be a grouch about it, but there's little peril for an England fan, generally in qualification, because... It's inevitable. Quite often we go through with a perfect record or at least something approaching that. And I don't think we learn anything about this team until we get to tournaments. Is that fair to say, Graham? Usually, yes, that is the way it has gone for England. What I would say is this this mm-hmm. particular group does carry a little bit more peril than usual for England because, not trying to rub uh, salt in the wounds here, Ryan, but England are a pot two team for, for, for this group. So Italy are actually, as the European defending champions, even though they didn't qualify for the, the last World Cup, they are still a pot one team. Ukraine um, are, I believe, the pot three team, and they are probably one of the stronger pot three teams teams um given how good they can be what did they make the quarterfinals of the the euros um last time out england this seems like a lifetime ago england beat ukraine quite convincingly from memory was it like three or four nil or something Uh, four nil in rome i believe graham oh there we go yeah so you would expect you would still expect england to finish above them but usually england are the top dogs in their group and obviously with Italy being in there, and also the fact that England have Italy and Ukraine first. They have two of their most difficult fixtures. It is not beyond the realms of possibility that, let's say, England lose in Italy and then maybe fail to beat Ukraine. I know that's a home fixture, but let's say that's a draw. And England all of a sudden are looking upwards at teams uh, above them. So while I still expect England to get out of this group, I do think there's a little bit more peril for them than usual. And on top of that, I would add North Macedonia would be the team that knocked Italy out of the World Cup playoffs. I think maybe because Italy was looking ahead to their more likely game against Portugal, which North Macedonia ended up losing. But even there, it's a team that can spring a surprise. I wouldn't be surprised if England dropped points away to North Macedonia. So I think it is, you've got like a wounded Italy that have a point to prove, but also could just go bust. Uh, You've got Ukraine, obviously, with a point to prove, and North Macedonia, who can be very difficult in their own right. So I think that does make it a more compelling group than we've seen in years past when England's got, you know, teams that could be run over like Scotland. I mean, yeah, that's fair to say. There's a five te- <laughs> five team groups here and Malta making up the uh, rest of the pack there for Group C. But I wouldn't necessarily call it a group of death. I mean, like Group B's got Netherlands and France and Republic of Ireland in it, for example. There's, mm-hmm. I suppose there's strong teams across the pot- board here. But I, the I actually think... Anyway. So I take your point. France and Netherlands, two strong teams. Um, maybe if you were to take the, you know, the mean of those two teams, as those two teams are stronger than Italy and, and England because Italy don't seem to be in a very good place right now. But I think in terms of the the depth of quality, I would pick out England's group. I would also, unfortunately, pick out Scotland's group. I think that's quite a, a high level of competition across the board. So I am interested to see whether England do steamroll the, the group as they tend to do for in most qualification campaigns or, or whether this one is a little bit more challenging. Because as I say, the watermark does seem a little bit higher than past groups that England have had where there's always been a San Marino. And I know, you know, Malta are maybe the minnows in there, but Malta are, are more competitive than, you know, a, a San Marino or a Luxembourg or, or whatever. As I say, it's a, it is a kind of higher watermark. 
Sure, I think sure they are. I think you could make the most compelling arguments you could about why Malta are good. Ryan Bailey is never going to be concerned about Malta. I'm pretty confident of that. Ryan, what are you concerned about then with England? Or or is it just that it won't be that interesting? Do you feel like no matter what, they're going to qualify? So, you know, uh, who cares? I'm not looking forward to the game against Italy because I know that Italy traditionally, certainly in recent fixtures, give us uh, England a tough, a tough time. And I don't think it's easy to go to Naples for a game, which is why I'm probably not going to do it myself. I was considering making the trip, but uh, reading the headlines, maybe somewhere to keep a distance from uh, as hmm. we record tomorrow. Um, but I think, Taylor, it feels like, to me, this, this squad is in a period of stasis to a certain extent yeah. at the moment because... I'm seeing lots of other European nations we'll talk about soon who've got new coaches, who've got new players coming, who've got quite a big revolution happening in their squads. Uh, I look at England, yeah, there's a few players out for this. Rashford, Mason Mount are out, and there's a few new names in it. Ivan Tony's getting a start here. Gambling's Ivan Tony's coming back in. Fraser Forster's <laughs> in for this one. Uh, ben Chilwell back. Rhys James back in. But it still feels like the same group with the same coach who are going to do the same thing. And I don't, I don't feel like I'm... I watch this game to be entertained, mm-hmm. I suppose. And I watch the international game, particularly, it has an extra onus to entertain. And I don't feel like I'm going to get that much from these England games. And I know I sound very cynical, but that's because I've grown up watching this team, Taylor. Well, but is that also not part of the problem of England having Southgate there for so long and having some of the, the same names there for so long? Like, I, I, I don't. I don't think that's complacency. I don't even think that's necessarily arrogance. I think it's what happens when you have a lot of the same faces and a lot of the same narratives. I mean, how long has it been the case that like Trent Alexander-Arnold not called up on form, not because of fitness? Like We've had this be a, a story for so long. It remains a story, and maybe it should be, but it just feels like we kind of are rehashing the same things over and over and over again with this England team. It, it's where I, my genuine question for you is like, would you like them to change it up? Would you like them to call in a much younger squad just to see what happens or change it up if the if things aren't going well in qualifying and bring in a new manager? Like, is is there a time when you do just have to shake things up because otherwise the rust starts to develop, things start to settle too much, there's a bit too much complacency and maybe suddenly you are Belgium. struggling <laughs> yeah. to qualify. Yeah, exactly. That is that is a very good point. You could become Belgium in this circumstance. But I'm inclined, Taylor, to answer your question and say no. Because okay. if I look at that lineup, say the, the probable lineup, which we're going to see in the next game, uh, Walker Stones, Maguire Shaw, Henderson, Rice, Bellingham, Kane with Sucker and Grealish in like a 4-3-3. That is a strong team. That is an exciting looking team on paper. Whether it's exciting when they start playing on grass is another question, I suppose. Because <laughs> I, I don't know what other ingredients I would put in that team I just said, for example. I don't know who else I'd introduce. And if you did, well, it would be some pretty good substitutes. Yeah, I, I, I agree with your general sentiment there, Ryan, because... I completely understand where you're coming from in terms of most other countries ha- are starting a new cycle with a new manager and there's that, that natural excitement there and England don't have that and I, even as a non-England fan, I'm a little bit bored by England at this point because it is going to be the same team, it's the same manager but then what do you, what what changes do you make? What players are coming into that team that are better than the current players that are there? The one argument that I would make is someone like Phil Foden I know he was in the squad, I know he featured in the World Cup, but maybe just finding a way to harness him as a bit more of a creator, someone like James Madison as well, bringing him, and again, I know he was in the World Cup squad, but just making him a a, a more important part of that team, that to me feels like the next progression for England. And there was a progression from the Euros to the World Cup. I do think England were better at imposing their own game on, on opponents in Qatar. I still feel like there's another step that they can they can do in, in in that respect or they can take in that respect. Teams like France, the the very top teams, you know, the the teams that can win a World Cup, France, Argentina, Brazil, England have yet to show that they can truly control and dominate a match of that stature. And that has with the talent that England have, I think there's an argument to be made that right now England have the most talented squad in international football but it's between France and England for for, for that right now a, a, a squad and a team of that talent should be able to do that against the, the absolute best teams in the world and that is where England have just fallen a little bit short under Southgate so far yeah, yeah. I would say the if not saving grace, a like positive approach for England in this game will just be that I think the pressure is very much on the Italian national team and Roberto Mancini. And so I think if England win, it's all good for them. You know, they're doing what's expected. They got the result. And I think it will be 
if not crisis for Italy, it will be more of an issue. Whereas if Italy win, maybe it will be a crisis for England. I think it's more defensible to go on the road to Italy and not get points. But this Italian national team is looking to rebound from failing to qualify, from getting knocked out by North Macedonia. And in the in those games, you have Jorginho missing penalties. You have a lot of sort of veteran players not rising to the occasion. You have younger players not really being ready for prime time. And so I think for this Italy team, you don't have uh, Federico Chiesa. He's injured, but you don't have Chiro Immobile. He's got 55 caps total. You don't have Andrea Bellotti, Lorenzo Insigne, Moise Keen. Uh, varying degrees of experience there. But uh, Immobile, on his own, as, as I said, has 55 caps. If you look at the seven strikers on this Italian roster, they combined for 58 appearances 24 of those are from uh, Domenico Berardi. So you remove him and suddenly the other like six yeah. remaining players have 34 caps total. It's a lot of younger or less experienced uh, when it comes to the international game players. Uh, Matteo Politano is 29. I'm not saying he's a, a youngster necessarily, but you've got a 17-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 23-year-old. So there are players with a point to prove, and if they do, then I think it's a sign. The narrative will be resurgent Italy. If they don't, I think it will be Italy still struggling. Is Mancini the right guy for this team? With England, I think it's just going to be more of the, yeah, we'll see what happens. And so I think in that way, your neutrality, your ambivalence, I think is justified. Yeah, I, I think we, we have a much clearer idea of what to expect from England mm-hmm. ahead of this fixture than, than Italy for a number of the reasons that you outline, outline there, Taylor. There's actually loads of stuff around Italy right now that's really interesting. So James Horncastle wrote a good piece for The Athletic which details basically how Roberto Mancini is having to kind of create his own international stars because he feels the players just aren't there. He's calling up players um, to the national team before that they've, they've even broken through at club level. So Simone Pavundi, as, as a player that Horncastle writes in, uh, about in, in, his, in his piece, has barely featured for Udinese this season. He's been in the national team squad. Um, Mancini has gone to, uh, to, to to Central and South America to call up Matteo yeah. Ret- Retigui. And the reason I don't really know how to pronounce his name is because I've never heard of him before. He's on loan from Boca Juniors at, at, at Tigre. And Mancini is basically looking all over the world, which is kind of un, un, unheard of for an Italy manager. Normally, an, an Azzurri manager just looks at Serie A, and basically everyone in Serie A traditionally is Italian. That is not the case right now. So 33.8% of the, the minutes played by players in Serie A this season is, is by Italian players, which is the lowest it has ever been. So in terms of talent, there's a massive, massive gulf between England and Italy. I don't think Italy, anyone in Italy knows what to expect from, uh, from the, the national team against England, and that should be to England's benefit. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, the, the call-outs that have been made here, Graham. Um, the talk of the town, certainly in Rome, is Mattia Zaccagni, my good neighbour and friend, uh, close personal friend, who scored the winner in the Rome derby last weekend. Nine goals this season playing great soccer for one of the best teams in Italy, not called up. Whereas, as you mentioned, some lesser-known names getting the nod. So it's there's there's some curious decisions going on. Matteo Retegui or Retegui, uh, however we're going to pronounce that. I've texted my wife. She knows Italian pronunciation. Uh, he... If I didn't know better, I would have thought he was a sort of like a player that FIFA didn't get the rights to playing for a team that wouldn't give their rights up because Matteo Retegui <laughs> playing for Tigre and the Italian national team. I, I'm not familiar with Tigre in Argentina either. Or, yeah, I don't, I don't think I would have even known that they were a team. I know Tigre. Uh, so that already had me sort of captivated by like, who is this guy? Who is this team? What's going on? I don't understand. So I think I'm definitely more excited to see how italy look than i am england uh sorry ryan i apologize taylor by the way just just text your wife for italian pronunciation it's not the guy who literally lives in italy don't worry about that yeah you mean the guy who every single time we mention italy like uh speaks about it with disdain and dislike and goes to starbucks and chilies <laughs> and hard rock cafe instead of eating italian food yeah why sure. would i think that he doesn't want to talk about italian pronunciation the man who brings back craft <laughs> macaroni cheese to italy from america <laughs> That's true pasta. That's real pasta, Graham. <laughs> that was for my American-born children. Who oh, know yeah, sure, better, sure. That's Excuses. All it is. <laughs> uh, well, Ryan, what would you say then? About what? How do you pronounce his name? Well, it's, it's technically a French surname, Retegui, right? It's not Italian. It's Retegui, I would say. Uh, okay. I no Am I idea. wrong? I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> oh, this is where it gets even more confusing because he's born in Argentina. 
So now I really don't know what to tell you. We've talked yeah. about this before where a really sizable uh, percentage of the population in Argentina has connections to Italy. Uh, so now now I'm I'm really thrown for loop because I don't know if it's Spanish pronunciation or Italian pronunciation. Yeah, and I don't think it's an Italian origin surname either. So I could be wrong. I'm wrong about many things. But we should probably... Uh, why don't we talk uh, a little bit about Spain? Should we move on to Spain, mm. uh, who are facing Norway and hmm, Scotland in this window? Ooh. Yeah, I've got tickets for that one. Nice. And there's not a Sterling Albion game that's uh, clashing with it, so I'll actually be able to go to that game oh, well done. next Tuesday. Well done. Um, so Spain, who obviously got Le- Luis de la Fuente as the coach mm. now appointed after the World Cup, who's got experience with the youth setup in Spain at various levels. Yep. What, Graham, do we make of this new Spain era? Interesting at, at, at the moment. So obviously we don't have any evidence. We'll have evidence after these two games of how De La Fuente will, will truly change things. But he is a very different coach and person to, to, to Luis mm-hmm. Enrique. So tactically, I think it's expected that De La Fuente will, will shift into a 4-3-1. Of course, Lucho never really changed from a 4-3-3, even when fans and experts were calling for it. Um and Del Fuente just generally is more of a pragmatist than Luis Enrique, which I, th- I think is a good thing. In terms of international soccer, I am very much pro-pragmatism and Lucho was very much a, an idealist. What we saw from him was kind of the purest form of tiki-taka that exists in the modern game still. We have kind of moved away from that style of play. Obviously, it's it's still the bedrock of what a lot of teams do. But I think there needs to be a little bit more dynamism to, to uh, not to Italy's play, sorry, to Spain's play. And the idea is that De La Fuente will, will do that. He does like to play an orthodox central striker. Um, as you mentioned, Ryan, he he has coached the youth teams. He's very much a, a company man for, for the Spanish Federation in that he's coached the U19s, the U21s, the U23s. He won the youth Euros at, at 19s and 21s level. He led Spain to silver medal at the Tokyo Olympics a couple of years ago. So he has had success at international level. Um, in terms of his character, he is very different to Lucho as well. So Lucho was never afraid to speak out against the Federation. I think there's a lot of people at the Spanish Federation uh, on the edge of their seats whenever Luis Enrique held a press conference and De La Fuente won't really do that. I don't expect we'll get many interesting quotes out of him. We certainly won't get a Twitch stream out of him during a major tournament. But the, one of the most interesting things about this change is that De La Fuente has kind of overhauled the squad for these games. So only 11 players survive from the World Cup squad, which is a bigger overhaul of the squad than I expected. And his hand has been forced a little bit by injuries. So Pedri is is, is probably the biggest miss. And I think Spain um, are a different team when he's involved. They're, they find it much easier to play through the lines. So I'm interested to see if anyone can kind of step in for him in, in these games. But there's some really surprising inclusions. So Brian Hill is maybe the most surprising one for me, given that he has not played a lot and when he has played not been very good for a bad Sevilla team that have just sacked their manager so surprising to see him there Iago Aspas is back in the squad I personally think Lucho should have used him more even though he's 35 now he's still a pretty reliable goal scorer he has played well for Spain in the past as well Um, Busquets has retired since the World Cup so that's a big question who's going to replace him at at the base of the midfield I would say Rodri feels like the front runner for, for that. But there's also Zubimendi who's been called up for the first time. He could be a contender for, for that role. The one thing that Del Fuente does agree with uh, on, on with Lucho is David De Gea. <laughs> David De Gea still not in this squad. I think Spain want to have a goalkeeper who's more comfortable playing out from the back. And so it's uh, David Raya and Kepa and one other, I can't remember, it's another, uh, another Premier League goalkeeper. I can't quite remember. Uh, Robert Sanchez. That's the one, Robert Sanchez, yeah. So you can kind of see that how the way that Del Fuente wants to play it from the back from his goalkeeper selection. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of change happening here. As I say, more change than I expected. I think Spain after the World Cup, they only needed to kind of tweak things. But it feels like Del Fuente's got different ideas and he kind of wants to very quickly put his, his own mark on, the, on this team. I just like that uh, Del Fuente, before he took over the Spain youth teams and now the Spanish senior team, he was with Bilbao, Sevilla, and Alaves. We've got a Bilbao player. We've got a Sevilla player in the squad. No Alaves. I think that's that's maybe Alaves' fault, less so uh, uh, the manager. But I, I agree with Graham. I think we, we're seeing an interesting time for Spain where they've they've brought in, I wouldn't say like the sexiest hire, but at the same time they've brought in a person who's very familiar with a lot of these players and has been there for a while. And it just feels like the type of appointment that – 
doesn't make a ton of headlines, but then does end up having an impact. So I think that alone is reason for watching Spain in this international window. Aside from all the talent we know they will have and we've come to expect from them, I think it's seeing how quickly this squad gels around a new manager. I think that is definitely going to be the thing I will be keeping an eye on. Mm. Maybe not a sexy hire, Taylor, but a sexy name, Luis de la Fuente. Oh, yeah. That's oh, wonderful. Yeah. Big fan of that. Um, <laughs> Ivan de la Red is still my favorite one. But yes, de la Fuente is second. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Very good indeed. And Jan van der Hasselink, always the greatest name in football. <laughs> <laughs> let's take a quick break. But when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about qualifying Group A, which includes Scotland. Back shortly. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits, another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trap over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are discussing Euro 2024 qualifying Group A. We've had a little chat about Spain. Who else in the uh, group should we talk about, Graham? Georgia? Cyprus? Norway? What do you think? Us, us, us. Talk about us. Fine, go on then. Yeah, so Scotland are in Group A. It's quite a difficult group. I'm uh, still a little bit unhappy that we've landed in this one because the pot three team is Norway and Erling Haaland, who, by the way, will not be available to face Spain. But I bet that he is fit and firing for that game against Scotland. (laughs) Do do you uh, think so, Graham? Because I had a theory about this because apparently he got injured in that Burnley game where he scored a billion goals where no one saw him get injured. Do you remember when Ryan Giggs used to conveniently miss every international window? Just just mentioning that for no reason particular in that he might miss both these games. I remember more than just Ryan Giggs doing that. I remember that being a, a, a thing that a lot of Manchester United players did in the international break, I presume, under instructions for, from Stralitz Ferguson. So maybe Pep truly is the new Fergie and that's what's going on here. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that by the time Norway face Scotland, I believe this summer... Um, which would be at the end of the season. Pep's probably not caring that much about keeping Haaland fit at that time, so go and score 20 goals against Scotland, sure. <laughs> um, in terms of Scotland's chances in qualifying, I'm, I'm still in a huff that we didn't qualify for the World Cup. It was very Scottish that we didn't. We won 7 out of uh, 12 games. Eh, sorry, 12, 10 games. 7 out of 10, we drew two and lost one game away to Denmark. Still didn't qualify for that World Cup, so I do feel like we were good enough to be at that tournament. It is a very established squad at this point. There's not a lot of changes. That lack of refreshment kind of worries me, Ryan, in the same way I think the lack of refreshment worries you in principle for England. But same sort of argument. I don't know who you're bringing in to replace some of the the, the players in this team. We do have a developing goalkeeper situation, so we've been very lucky for a long time. 
that we had three what I would consider top-level goalkeepers. We had Alan McGregor, we had uh, Craig Gordon, and we had David Marshall. And for 15 years, if one was out, we just brought another one in. And we've, we haven't thought about the goalkeeping position for a decade and a half. Now Craig Gordon is out injured long term. McGregor's retired from international duty. Marshall's retired from international duty. So we have actually um, got an Angus Gunn who is on record as saying his dream is to play for England one day but we need a goalkeeper and so Angus Gunn is now Scottish and I expect he will probably he will probably start um, these two games because he is by far and away I think the highest did, caliber goalkeeper that we have Graham did anyone but, tell him his name was Angus because I feel like that right there <laughs> should have tell, told him that he's playing for England and nobody else yeah, I think by, when he said England, he meant Scotland. Yep. That's how we're excusing it. Now. I think you could excuse it He just it got that mixed way. up between the two. Something tells yeah. me that if you all meet each other in a competitive game, Ryan won't be see- seeing it or saying it that way. But yeah, I, I take your point. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we have an Australian starting up front in Lyndon Dykes, and I think there are two or three other uh, players that were also born it's in just England. multiculturalism, man. Multiculturalism. Exactly. We're embracing the modern we're era. It's all Angus good. Angus Gunn's dad was a Scotland player, right? His I name is Angus. Know, was he? Yes, Brian Gunn I don't must know. have been. He must surely. <laughs> Someone look it up. Anyway, I guess I didn't know that that was that Brian Gunn was his 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 dad. To be honest, but I'm pretty sure yeah. he is. Yeah. Anyway, okay, fair enough. But um, yeah, Angus Gunn looks like he's going to be our new goalkeeper at least until Craig Gordon is back. Um, I don't know what to expect out of these two games. Steve Clark tends to be kind of defensive minded. I often think our strength is in the attack. What worries me a little bit is a lot of our best players are not in the best club form. So Kieran Tierney hasn't been playing much for Arsenal. Andy Robertson's had a difficult season for for Liverpool, obviously. John McGinn has had a difficult season for Aston Villa. Lyndon Dykes has been out for a long time with kind of a bit of a mystery illness as well. Che Adams is playing for a struggling Southampton team. So that concerns me a little bit as well. But even if we lose and don't qualify, we still have the best uh, kits in international soccer and all that's mattered. And I got hold of one before they sold out as as well. I think it arrives tomorrow. So all in all, that's a win for Scotland, really. Uh, I have an update. I'm fascinated by Angus Gunn. Uh, His mother uh, is Susan. She is married to Brian Gunn, a former professional footballer and football manager who she met in Spain where she had a bridal wear company. He proposed within three days of their meeting and they were married the following year. Uh, they remain married. They have uh, multiple children. And yeah, so yeah, there's a the Scotland connection right there. He made a whopping six appearances for the Scottish national team. Mm, there you go. Angus is the son of the gun. We proved it. Uh, very good. Uh, Scotland playing Cyprus and Spain in this window. Why don't we take a look over at France, who, as we mentioned, are in the group with Netherlands and Republic of Ireland. And France playing both of those teams, Netherlands and Republic of Ireland, arguably the trickiest window they're going to face uh, in this Euro qualifying campaign. Taylor, how are we feeling about France right now? Um, it feels tumultuous. And then you remember, yeah, they did make a World Cup final, so they're still pretty good. Isn't the rule just ask Kylian Mbappe how he's feeling about France, and then that's how we should all be feeling about France? Whatever he says is how it goes. Because right? I think as long as you have Kylian Mbappe, uh, now they're captain, you're going to be okay. Although I believe Antoine Griezmann might disagree. He's vice captain, yeah. but I think was was hurt that he wasn't given the armband instead of Mbappe. Though I don't know how how surprised he really should have been. Uh, but the story, as always with France, is just that they're uh, they're quite good, pretty stacked, have a lot of talent across the board. Uh, they have experience, they have youth, they've got. I mean, that's the the front line alone. Like reading from bottom up, you've got Kingsley Coman, Moussa Diaby, Randall Kolomouani, Marcus Thuram, Kylian Mbappe, Olivier Giroud, always Olivier Giroud in there, and then Antoine Griezmann. I mean, that's all of those could start for some of the best national teams on the planet. So to have all of them at your disposal, uh, it's a charmed life. Didier Deschamps lives. Uh, the midfield, Yusuf Fofona from Monaco, uh, Chuomeni, Kamavinga, Taram from Nice. I really like Kefren Taram. I always sign him in FIFA. That's where I go. But whenever I get to watch him with Nice, he is always enjoyable and I think a very dynamic midfielder. Adrian Rabiot somehow still in there, so we still get the drama. You still get the kind of <laughs> veteran drama mixed with the uh, the hype at the same time. Dayo Opamakano could be good, could, could give up an own goal. You never know. Teo Hernandez could score a worldie or get a red card. Uh, lot, lots uh, to keep you entertained when it comes to France, and I think uh, they will be feeling confident about that game against Ireland, uh, maybe a little bit more conflicted about that game against the Dutch. 
Clearly, nobody at the French Federation has worked up the courage to tell Rabiot's mum that he's not included in the squad. Just like the, nobody there has the courage to tell Mbappe that he's not the captain. That they, 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 they just they didn't have a choice. In fact, I think it was probably written into Mbappe's PSG contract that he will be the, Fra- the France captain and the French Federation just has no, no say in that matter. And any of you scored a hat-trick in a World Cup final? Yeah, okay, I'll be captain. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite a strong argument in fairness. It's decent. It's not bad. I mean, it didn't win, but it's not a bad argument. Uh, Graham, any thoughts on this France side as they are now? Uh, ready to kick on in this yeah. tournament? I do think it's quite an interesting point in their development as a team because three key figures have retired from international duty since the World Cup. So Hugo Lloris um, has retired. Benzema... <laughs> he was back in and now he's retired again and then Raphael Varane Joe has talked about this a couple times on the show um, only 29 or maybe he's 30 now you wouldn't say that he is necessarily of international retirement age but he's talked about being in a washing machine that never stops Ryan I know you have questions about Raphael Varane's washing machine Um, but basically the long and short is that he is no longer available for France so those are three key positions to, to be filled Deschamps has come out and, and and said publicly that Mike Mignon is the replacement for Hugo Lloris. I personally think uh, William Saliba makes sense as a long-term replacement for Varane, although he is injured and not involved in, in, in this squad for this particular window. And then, to be honest, I don't think Benzema really needs to be replaced. I, I actually think Benzema kind of cluttered um, France's thinking as an attacking team. And so just having Mbappe, maybe it's Giroud alongside him, because it's always Giroud alongside him. But even someone like Kolo Moane, who has really taken a step forward in his development since the World Cup, he's been in excellent form for Frankfurt in, in, in the Bundesliga. So I don't think Benzema necessarily needs to be replaced. Um, so, yeah, this France team is still in very good shape. They are stacked, as Taylor says. But Deschamps does, does still have some things to figure out. All right, last but not least, guys, let's take a quick jaunt to Group J, uh, which contains Bosnia and Herzegovina, Iceland, Luxembourg, Slovakia, Liechtenstein, and Portugal, the clear outlier in that group, I would suggest, although Iceland, obviously, quite decent. Two, yeah. um, Is it just me, or are at least 90% of Portugal's qualifiers against Liechtenstein? Feels like that they play. That's how Ronaldo's got mm. like two hundred international goals. They just play Liechtenstein and, and Luxembourg in every single qualifier. It's very much the England San Marino continuum. Yeah, I think you're right there, Graham. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's that, that's not the continuum I think of as being the most engaging. But anytime no. you get to use continuum, I say go for it. And that's the that's why I am the way I am. Out of essentially, because that is the continuum I've had to watch growing up. Um, Portugal, that, Graham, do that. Really does put it into perspective, I'm not yeah. going to lie. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Bobby Martinez, or Bobby Martinez, where I come from. My favourite. Yeah, what do we think about that, Portugal coach? Yay for Portugal. Um, yeah. The jury's still out is on it? that one. Is it? So <laughs> I'm going to try my best to be fair here and sort of make an argument in favour of Roberto Martinez and what he might bring to this Portugal team. So... There is going to be a difference between Martinez and Santos as coaches, which is a good thing because I think we'd all got very bored of watching uh, Santos's Portugal team. So Belgium under Martinez, they like to play it from the back. They like to have the ball. Um, Portugal under Santos do not like those things. They, they tended to move the ball quicker upfield. Um, I found an article that said they completed fewer passes per sequence than all of the other uh, big European nations in the, in the last qualification campaign for, for, for the World Cup. So in theory, this change should be good for Portugal because they just have so much attacking quality. The frustration with Santos was he was hired at a time when Portugal didn't have that quality. That pragmatism was very valuable. They obviously won a Euros under him, but then their squad got stronger, certainly in an attacking sense, and it felt like they outgrew Santos. So Martinez should do a better job of harnessing that talent. We we should also we, we should also expect to see a back three from Martinez. So he's called up uh, 10 defenders for the squad and six of them are centre-backs. And he used a back three for Belgium a lot. In fact, that uh, another article I found said that he used a back three in 75 of his 79 matches in charge of Belgium. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a fair guess to say that we will see that for Portugal as well. I have mixed thoughts on that because... I'm not sure what the use of of that is for Portugal because um, you're losing a you know a player further forward and as I say the strength in this Portugal team isn't an attacking sense is in that midfield and certainly those creative areas of the midfield. 
But nonetheless, um, I think in theory, Martinez should create a more attack-minded team. And if you look at it over the course of his career, and certainly with Belgium, he was better at building a team from scratch than evolving a team. He never changed things for Belgium. That was my big frustration was at the World Cup. He was still starting Eden Hazard, despite the fact I, I think Real Madrid have forgotten is Eden Hazard is one of their players. Tony Kroos has forgotten. No, he hasn't. Um, they, they, he still started him at a World Cup. So if Martinez is coming in and building a team from scratch, then I have more faith in him to do that than a few years down the line where he needs to evolve things. Having said that, Cristiano Ronaldo is in this squad, mm-hmm. so maybe I have too much faith in Martinez to change things too much because he should not be in this squad at this point. Should he not? No, I don't think so. He's playing in Saudi Arabia. Gonzalo Ramos certainly should be starting over him. Um, he's doing obviously very well for Benfica at a much higher level. So that maybe is the true test. But I think this was a good opportunity for Martinez to do the the Eric Ten Hag thing and basically mm-hmm. said, "Look, this is a this is a new generation, a new era. Ronaldo, you're the old era, but he has chosen not to do that, and that will make things very difficult for him further down the line. At some point, this will be difficult for him. That I, yeah, I, I agree, Graham. But also for Martinez, that is a politically troubling thing to do, right? He's going to have to do it at some point. He's going to have to do it at some point. Ronaldo's not just going to." step willingly to the side is he if there's one thing we've learned about Cristiano Ronaldo over the last few months that is, that is it that is not going to happen for Portugal just like it didn't happen for Manchester United so Martinez is going to have to do this at some point and surely the easiest point for him to do it is right at the start when he's taking charge of the team and he can put his own kind of impression on things but he hasn't done that I, I can't remember if it was Roberto Martinez who dropped Raja Nangolan from the Belgium squad uh, but if it was, I think that was like the biggest omission he had or the biggest sort of decision he had to make aside from maybe like Lukaku versus Benteke when that was still vaguely a conversation. And so I don't know how many of those sort of big moments he's had, those big decisions he's had. I do wonder if he part of his interview was, how are you going to get the best out of Cristiano Ronaldo? Because we still have to have him in the team. His agents will be very mad if we don't. Uh, it's not even just that he plays in Saudi Arabia. It's that he was to my memory, a disruption in the last World Cup for Portugal. And he ends up not playing and, and I think is, is pretty frustrated about it. And there's a lot of vocalizing in the opening games about how he's not getting the ball in the right spots or not getting it where he wants or even when he does. It just didn't feel like he was necessarily a part of that team. So maybe that's the reality check he needed. Maybe he's gotten a couple of those since then. But that would be my, my major question is mm. – if you're building the whole team around him or if you're structuring the team so that Ronaldo can still play in it, you are sacrificing quality. And to Graham's point, when you then are also potentially moving to a back three, they brought in six center backs, so that feels like a possibility, uh, then you're sacrificing even more attacking talent. And I think it's just going to be a fascinating window. They don't, I mean, Liechtenstein and Luxembourg are not like true tests (laughs) of much or anything, but I still just think how this team evolves and if the chemistry improves, if they look like a unified team, then maybe it's the right hire. But I, I definitely have some big questions about what happens when this team comes up against sterner, stronger opposition and they have to make some difficult decisions. Yeah, I, I'm just distracted now by the thought of Martinez telling Nangeland he couldn't play anymore. Like, you know, take the cigarette out for a second. Get off the motorbike. I've got something to tell you. <laughs> that was, like, well, see, as I understand it, that was the problem. It was, take the cigarette out, just put it out for a second. We've got to have a conversation. No, you won't even put it out. See, that's part of the problem is that you won't put it out even to have a conversation. <laughs> Indeed, fun times. All right, I think we have thoroughly previewed this upcoming international break. Taylor, wellness check. Uh, looks like about 50% of the coffee's gone now. <laughs> I don't think I've, dr- I've had that much. If anything, I've had more water in this recording. So uh, I'm happy about that i'm happy to get to see the u.s play again i am i will add very briefly excited to watch the dutch play because i think they are at a fascinating point when you look at the roster they have it's a lot of names you know and then it's a lot of names that i'm more familiar with because we covered uh Feyenoord Ajax this past weekend i think Mats Viefer could be very good for them kenneth taylor is one we were all impressed by and then uh zavi simon's playing for psv there are youngsters coming through for the dutch who will i think be household names in the near future but we might start to see them become more important for the team this time round, especially with Frankie de Jong injured, Ryan Grevenberch not called in, Jeremy Frimpong not in there. So there's some names outside, uh, some young names coming through, and I think the Dutch will be another one to keep an eye on this break. That's good. Weren't as pleased to watch the Dutch in Qatar, if I remember correctly, but uh, 
Yeah. Uh, for a variety of reasons, <laughs> especially as an American fan. Yeah, no, not Indeed. my favorite team to watch. Indeed. Well, Taylor, thank you very much for your contributions in this podcast, as always. Graham thank Rutherford, uh, thank you yourself, and thank you yourself. That's tautological. <laughs> Graham, thank you very much, and we hope you enjoy your mouse house on ice. Ah, oh, thank you, Ryan. Indeed. Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.